Bonjour de Paris. I heard springtime in Paris was lovely, and so here I am once again. What about you? Have you been to Paris? Do you, like so many other visitors, fall in love with Paris? Uh, today's guest, author, filmmaker, and Lit Wings founder Erin Byrne did, so much so that she has published two books about Paris. We're going to talk all about them and her love affair with Paris and much more. So don't go anywhere. Matthew Felix on Air starts now. Matthew Felix on air, people who create, people who make a difference, coming to you from Paris, France, my second show from Paris. And I could hardly be more or hardly be more happy to be back in Paris. I lived here several years ago and I've spent a lot of time visiting, but I hadn't been back for I don't know, four or five years. I'm not I'm not sure how long it's been. So so excited and happy to have the excuse to come back to Paris. And of course, the excuse was the invitation that I received from Litwing's founder and today's guest, Erin Byrne to uh, participate in her Lit Wings Paris event. That happened last Thursday, April 11th, and as I mentioned in the past, each Lit Wings event has one photographer, one writer, and one filmmaker, typically. I, of course, was the writer for this event, and uh, the other attendees, other presenters, included Ernest White II, host of the travel documentary series Fly Brother, which has just been greenlit by PBS to debut nationwide later this year, so it was really interesting to hear about that project. A uh, award-winning photographer, Lona Merch, was also there, and she, of course, has been on this show and was just in San Francisco, so it was great to get to see her again and hear more about her work. Tony Alberto Rigatini is a poet, playwright, and screenwriter, as well as host of Spoken Word Paris, which I hope to do while I'm here, and which Erin is also going to do while she's here. So it was great to get to meet him. And we also had an update on the Creative Process Exhibition, which I have mentioned on this show previously, and that was by Mia Funk, the founder of the exhibition, who will be my guest on next, next week's uh, show. So clearly it's all, it's all very related, all interwoven. Um, and because I just got to Paris, and because the only news I have is really related to Litwings, I don't have any other news uh, for now. So, after this quick message from my sponsor, Wordspace Studios, I will be back with uh, Litwing's founder, Aaron Byrne. A quick thanks to Wordspace Studios in San Francisco for sponsoring Matthew Felix on Air. Wordspace's mission is to bring together writers and thinkers of all ages and experiences. Wordspace will soon be offering creative writing workshops, a literary book club, and guided writing groups. And Wordspace is already offering writing residencies. They are submission-based, and they provide writers with room and board for up to one month. To find out more, you can email info at wordspacestudios.com. Aaron Byrne is the author of Wings, Gifts of Art, Life, and Travel in France, editor of two vignettes and postcards series, one for Paris, one for Morocco, and she is the writer of the Storykeeper film. Aaron's travel essays, poetry, fiction, and screenplays have won many awards, including three grand prize Solas Awards, the Forward Indies Book of the Year, and an Accolade Award for Film, as well as the Pinnacle Achievement Award. Erin has taught writing at Shakespeare and Company Bookstore here in Paris, at Book Passage Sausalito, and on deep travel trips. <clears throat> Excuse me. As I also um, already mentioned, Erin is the founder and host of the Lit Wings events, two of which happen in Sausalito each year, and then one here in Paris. And she is travel writing curator for the Creative Process Exhibition, which was launched at the Sorbonne and travels to the world's leading universities. 
Her screenplay Siesta is in pre-production in Spain, and she is working on a novel set in the Paris Ritz during the occupation. Welcome back, Erin. Thank you. <laughs> merci beaucoup. Je, je t'en prie, merci d'être ici. Uh, so let's just jump right into things and talk about Lit Wings and this the Lit Wings event that we just had, okay. which I thought went really well. Yeah. So how how did what were what are just some of your impressions and how are you feeling about it? I loved it. First of all, I love the space Cafe Au Tech. It's the it's it's just the coolest cafe in Paris, I think. And um, they do cultural events every other Thursday. Just about they have concerts and they're they're from all over the world. So. They have hosted six different events for me through oh, the wow. years. Yeah. We used to do a lot of kind of readings there from my Shakespeare and Company workshop. And then we did a practice run before we launched vignettes and postcards from Paris. <clears throat> and I did a concert there with Olivier oh, really? Mage from my Wings book when that came out. And I also showed the Starkeeper film with these two guys these friends of mine in their film is called portrait of a bookstore as an old man yeah it's a film about george whitman of shakespeare and company so we had a film event there and then we had our first lit wings paris there last year oh so last year was the first lit wings yeah. Paris. this is uh, the second okay yeah. oh i didn't realize yeah, that yeah because lit wings had... has been going on for six years right right no for th this is the for third three year years. sorry three yeah. years yeah um but you just started the paris one last, last year, year. Interesting. yeah and i'm doing now i'm doing Two in Sausalito and probably one in the city at Word Space, actually, and then oh, one in really? Paris. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you'll be doing four a year? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Cranking it up, taking yeah. it up. Yeah, it's so fun. So it is fun, and um, it's always interesting and just inspiring. But how and why did you start it? You know, um, I was talking to Lee Kravitz about my books and sort of like how to market my books. And he actually mm -hmm. came up with the idea. And he said, Erin, oh, wow. you just need to do an event yeah. that's really fun, that you think is really fun. And then you sort of have your books there. And so it's not the big, you know, this is after my, I spent, you know, what, two years promoting these books. And so he was like, what is your umbrella of interest? And it turns out that my, my umbrella of interest is writing because I'm a writer and I, and I love, you know, writers obviously filmmaking because I'm sort of the accidental filmmaker mm -hmm. and then I am obsessed with photography I'm a horrible I can't take a picture to save my life but as you know when I'm in Paris I have Henri Cartier-Bresson the photographer and Robert Duano appears um, they're both dead, of course, but <laughs> we're going to get to that. Yeah. But anyway, and I have all these friends who are just, I'm just in awe of their photos. And so, um, my first event I did at the book passage in Sausalito and I had Lee, I was like, okay, then you're going to be my writer. Yeah. And I just, um, I just have people talk about their career path, their creative path, and then share one project. Mm -hmm. So I had Lee and Catherine Carnow, the photographer and Vanessa Cochini, who's a filmmaker that I met at a film festival, and uh, she has a film called Get Together Girls. Uh, she's an Italian filmmaker, but she lives in L.A., and her film uh, is in Nairobi. So mm. um, it was so much fun, yeah. and it ends up always be, <clears throat> being this, this kind of like everyone's story is different, but everybody's story is the same mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in that they just talk about their creative path 
and they're doing this one thing and then this really strange opportunity comes along to do another thing and they say yes to that and then they find themselves like way over here and then this other opportunity comes out of left field of something they never thought they would do Mm -hmm. and they say yes and then they're there and so it's like kind of the mystical way that we all move along our creative path yeah and I really noticed that the other night too, yeah, you know, right. and so it's really fun and it's always inspiring. Yeah, no, definitely. That's one of the interesting things about, you know, when you asked me to do it and when you said, here's how I kind of structure it. And of course I've been to multiple Litwings, but mm-hmm. just that reminder. And I like that focus on what's your, what's your trajectory to date and sort yes. of tracing where you started yeah. and how you've meandered to where you are today. A lot of it being completely unexpected, doors yeah. opening when you don't expect them to and yeah. where you expect it or how mm-hmm. you expect them to. And so it's really interesting to hear how that happens to other people. Yeah. And like you said, and then you find there's, there are certain common underlying forces at work right. and themes at work. But it's really interesting to hear each, you know, for example, Ernest said that um, he never intended to be on TV. Right. You know, and just like I've said before, and I said, I think I said this last two podcasts ago, you know, I never intended to do a podcast, never intended to be on video, never intended to do my stage show. So that whole idea, um, I just love that whole idea. Well, you know, it helps me. It really inspires me because, you know, you hear these people and when they're talking about their creative path, this opportunity opportunity comes along and they say yes and they go do this well usually for me I say no like you know this film the storykeeper film like Roger my filmmaker was over in Spain I work with this Dutch filmmaker and he just said I was going to interview <clears throat> Renee which I'm sure we'll the talk about later but mm-hmm. he just said I'm coming to Paris right now and we're doing this film and I was like no 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 I don't know you know like and so listening to people's stories and and really reflecting on what's happened to me after I did that film mm-hmm. helps me to say yes <clears throat> right. in a more gracious way. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> another really good point. And we may end up talking about Litwings the whole time because that's another really good point is that, I mean, you got an email from me this morning where I was not in the best place <laughs> related to the work that I'm doing and just a lot of technical issues and things I had. And just wondering, you know, is it is it even worth it sometimes, right? Yeah. When we have these lows mm-hmm. and maybe a book comes out and it doesn't get the reception or whatever. Right, There's right. always all these ups and downs sure. as part of the creative sure. process and yeah. journey. And so when you have something like Litwings, mm-hmm. it's really important because it just reminds us that, again, this is also the commonalities, that we all go through these different periods yeah. and it's not always easy. And sometimes the doors open, but sometimes we yes. we butt up against doors. Mm-hmm. And just to keep on trusting and moving forward yeah. and... Yeah, it's really it fun. Yeah. And here we are. Okay, so here we are, like I just said, we but here being Paris, in addition to here doing the podcast. But tell me about, I don't know... I know that you taught at Shakespeare and Company, but I don't really know exactly, and I know we've touched on this really briefly in the past, but tell me how your relationship with Paris started. Well, like the first time, the first time I came was 2005, actually, and do you want the surfacey thing or the deeper thing? Somewhere in between. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's not the answer you wanted. Well, I mean... The surfacey thing is that I came, and the first time I came, I uh, the beauty of this place with the architecture and the art, and just I mean, even if you're served a cafe creme, it's beautiful, and that just blew me away. And I had taken French all the way through school, 
Um, so I, and you know, I had, I think we talked about this. I goofed off in French class <laughs> all the time, right. but that gave me license to, to speak in this kind of accent, exaggerated <laughs> accent of my French teacher that we always made fun of. Yeah. Um, and then I started meeting these people here who I just resonated with. But wait a second, if I may, did you, because if you just started meeting people, does that imply that you, when you, when you came, you were here for a while? Uh, when I first came, I think I was here for a short period. And then I came back rather soon after that okay. and did a, um, like a travel writing and wine trip down to Bordeaux. Mm -hmm. That you write about. Anyways. But then I stayed, yes. But then I stayed in Paris on either side of that. And then, and then I think the next time I came back really soon after that was when I went to this uh, writing workshop that Anna Pook was teaching at Shakespeare and Company. And so that was your entree. And got to know her. And and then I, I just was coming back. It, it happened to be that I was starting to write then. And I was provided with all kinds of crazy things to write about yeah, here. Yeah, so. and so then you were sort of hooked and yeah. felt that connection. Yes. So one of the things, or one of the... the, the results from both your meeting up with Anna Pook mm -hmm. and Shakespeare and Company mm -hmm. and your feeling just so connected literarily here and just mm -hmm. inspired here was your vignettes and postcards from Paris book, mm -hmm. the anthology. Mm -hmm. um, there are two, two books in that series. One again is from Morocco, which we're not going to focus on so much today, but just so that people know. And uh, so tell, tell us a little bit about that book and it's <clears throat> some of the themes and some of the different angles it takes. Who else, who's involved, and its relationship to your time at Shakespeare and Company. Okay, well, I was there, you know, and then Anna asked me to teach it. I think I taught a travel writing, like a one-night workshop as part of her longer workshop. And then the next time I came, she was um, pregnant. She was mm -hmm. going to have a baby, and she mm -hmm. said, will you teach the longer workshops? Uh -huh. And there were two, and I think there were seven or eight weeks, you know, two nights a week. Two entirely different groups, by the way. Uh -huh who we finally connected. Uh -huh. But Anna and I then had always talked about putting together the writings of these writers. And so when I did this long workshop with them, part of my mantra with them was like, you know what, when you're writing this stuff, you need to get it published. And they were they were kind of, um, a lot of them were, were like, they had everything there was, they had inspiration, they knew how to edit. When I started challenging them, they went so deep and they were able to get to the heart of their stories and they were able to edit. And But they just, when I started talking about publication, mm -hmm. they really froze. Mm, and so, um, you know, Anna and I were like, okay, we're just gonna do this book then. Yeah. And so the, the original book was, um, I think it had a long title. It was like writings from the evening workshop at Shakespeare and Company book bookstore, and it Very was a literal. yes, it was a smaller <laughs> book. Uh -huh. And um, then, do you want me to talk about how that became the current edition? Sure. Okay, Just so kind of high level. Sure. It was it was a, a kind of a smaller book, but it won all these awards. The stories in it are luscious. Mm. Um, and then Reputation Books, which is the publishing company of my agent, Kimberly Cameron, said, you know, a few years later, they said, why don't we do a new edition of this book and then we'll do another, we'll do a series and you can do another one. And I was going to Morocco frequently then. So I was like, okay, I'll do Morocco. 
So the Morocco <laughs> one was all stories about Morocco. Mm -hmm. The original Paris one was many of the stories were about Paris, but not all. Oh, right. So I mm -hmm. added 21 new stories and poems and photos by Bill Rolfe, who's just an incredible photographer, sketches by Colette Hanahan, and uh, there's sure. four full-page sketches by Candace Rose Riordan, mm -hmm. which are just so so detailed and intricate and beautiful. And, um, you know, there's a chapter by the spoken word poets of Paris and stories by Alberto and those guys who I'm sure we'll talk about later. And uh, Don George gave me Le Bonne Vie in Paris yeah. and uh, Marcia de Sanctis gave me a story and Kimberly Lovato and so there's a big um, variety 21 new ones and, and two poems by Billy Collins okay. which was so I was so thrilled to have yeah. those yeah so it came out my twins actually my triplets but it came out at the same time as the Morocco book the new one right the new one so yeah. You know, and I just realized for people who don't know, we're assuming that people know what Shakespeare and Company is. So right. can you just give us a little tidbit for people who might uh, not Yeah, know? Shakespeare and Company is a very famous bookstore um, that was original. The original Shakespeare and Company was Sylvia Beach, and it was on Rue de l'Odion. And she is the one who published Ulysses. Um, it was such a scandalous, and you published it. And well, then um, she left during the war, and um, the bookshop closed. And then after the war, George Whitman was an American and he was he was there for the war and he just ended up staying. And he had this apartment on uh, Boulevard Saint-Michel. Was he a soldier? You said he was, he was for the yeah. War. Uh -huh. And then he had this apartment on Boulevard Saint-Michel. And he just said all of his friends would come over and borrow his books. Yeah. So he opened this little bookshop down then. This is on uh, Rue de la Boucherie. It's right across from Notre Dame. And... Um, that was 1951, I think, when it opened. So, you know, Henry Miller and, well, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, obviously James Baldwin, all those guys, that's where they hung out. The, the first Shakespeare company was kind of Hemingway and Fitzgerald and all those guys. And so this is the, this was kind of, he had her blessing, and I can't remember the whole story about how that went, but it it's connected. Over. I mean, it's not like officially connected with the first one, but it's, you know, and so George and George Whitman, I mean, he ran it from 1951 to 2011, mm -hmm. I think, or 12 is when mm -hmm. he maybe January. And he lived there. He lived there in a little uh -huh. quirky little apartment. Uh -huh. And his daughter, Sylvia, runs it now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. And it's an institution still. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. That yeah. He would he would have um, uh, tumbleweeds, he would call them. And they're usually younger people. And a lot of my friends were, and our friends were, like, Carolyn Cardinal was a tumbleweed. Phil Cousineau was a tumbleweed. Uh -huh. um, These are people blowing through town who can stay there. They, this is, they called them tumbleweeds. Yeah. And they would, they, he gave them a bed, which was basically a bench that they moved the books off of. Uh -huh. And um, they had to work the cash register and they had to read a book a day. And that mm, was their room. A book a day? Board. Yes. And that a was a room and board. And so they still have tumbleweeds there. Yeah. You know, if you do a book event there, they're bustling around, serving uh, wine and doing cool. all this stuff. Do and yeah. I guess the book a day isn't that much if you're working in the in the bookstore and there's not you don't have a lot going on. Yeah. So you actually have time yeah. to read the book. Yeah, but day. you'll go there and you'll see these younger people sort of buzzing around yeah. and that's who they are, the tumbleweeds. Yeah. All right. So that's your first sort of output, if you will, which seems to sort of sterile a way of terming of of, of calling it. 
from your time in Paris, vignettes and postcard, that collection. Mm -hmm. But then you also did do, we mentioned this a second ago in the intro, uh, the Storykeeper film. Yes. And you just got done saying a second ago that your filmmaker sort of said, you know, we're just doing this. Yes. And you were like, no, but you ended up doing it. Right. And the Storykeeper film won uh, Best Documentary Short at, 2013, at the 2013 <clears throat> Geneva Film Festival. It won the 2012 Accolade Award. It's been accepted and, and shown at lots and lots of festivals. Mm -hmm. So it was quite a success for mm -hmm. something you didn't even want to do. <laughs> something that someone it's made you the do. The filmmaker was so awesome. Okay. But tell us about um, tell us about the film. Well, I had this story that was actually handed to me. And I had spent years doing research on the occupation of Paris. I just was kind of obsessed with this time period and I didn't quite know why. And so everybody in Paris knew how I was, I was fascinated with this. And so one day one of my friends, Edouard Duval said, you know what, my uncle was in the resistance and I have this story that I've been wondering what to do with. I'm going to hand it to you. It's from, it's the account of this guy from Arkansas who was parachuted down into Paris, was hidden, and, and my uncle actually helped hide him. And you might want to write this up. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it's this unbelievable account of Kirby Cowan, this guy from Arkansas who um, the plane was, they were bombing the suburbs, and it was June of 1944, and the plane was hit near the escape hatch, so many of the parachutes went out and um, three men went down with the plane three survived and parachuted down others plunged to their death and uh, anyway I got the story of Kirby who parachuted down and Edouard Duval's uncle Rene Duval uh, he Kirby landed in this field where these teenage boys were out picnicking with their girlfriends and they saw him and the Germans then were looking for him. And so they hid him in a shed, gave him a change of clothes, took him over to this factory where their, one of their fathers worked. Well, the factory owner was Rene Duval, the uncle of Edouard, my friend. And he came out and they hid Kirby in this big uh, bin and they wrote unexploded bomb on it. And the Germans oh, wow. came looking and they just said, no, there's nobody here. Right. Well, Rene came out, he drove Kirby to his home, which is on Boulevard Malzer, Boulevard by uh, the Arc de Triomphe, uh, and he, he kept him there. He, he drove him there and hid him there. In June of 1944, he would have mm -hmm. been shot in the head mm -hmm, for that. Mm -hmm. So he hid him, and then he took him by metro over to Sebastopol, Boulevard Sebastopol, 20 Boulevard Sebastopol, which is where George Prevost a gendarme was living with his sister Jeanette and her husband Jean Rocher, and they hid him for two weeks. He was there along with this other airman from Scotland. And then on their way, they were smuggling them out of Paris on their way out. They got caught. They were in the last uh, train to Buchenwald, and then he was um, moved from prisoner of war camp to prisoner of war camp and finally was liberated. Patton marched right in front of him and liberated this camp. And that it was a full year of his life. And then wow. he returned to Arkansas. Right. So I had that story and I just, I read it and I thought, this is a film. I didn't mm -hmm. know anything about film. So why, so that was, that was going to be my next question. Mm -hmm. Why film versus I story? I just, when I read the story, I just could. You saw it. It was so I, It was, yeah, it was just, and, and actually now it's interesting to think about this because now everything I write, I see like that. 
But at that point, I just, I didn't have any experience with film. Mm -hmm. A lot of people I knew did. Mm -hmm. And so I kept running into all these film people in these odd ways. Mm -hmm. And and I happened to go to this, um, this, writing workshop in the Jura mountains. And that's where I met Roger Van Beek-Kachuin. He's Dutch. He's a filmmaker and he and I have done, and we did the story keeper and we did these three short films for wings. And then we're working on this siesta film in Mm -hmm. Spain. But, um, then he said, I want to film some of your stories. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, whatever. And so then the next time I was in Paris, Edward said, you know what? There's this guy who collected all the stories of the crew. Mm-hmm. This guy was a little kid when that plane crashed right. in his neighborhood. Right. And he, and I said, really? And so he gave me his email address and his name's Rene Serolis. Mm-hmm. And he started writing me. He, he sent me, he just like mailed me these packages. And right. um, he was seven years old. Yeah. And the plane crashed in his neighborhood. Yeah. Three dead men in the plane. And it was that thing in childhood that just broke through his veil of innocence. And so mm-hmm. he then... Do it. Yeah. So he then... Um, he went off, grew up. You know, the liberation happened. But he always thought about those guys in the plane and the rest of the crew. Right. And he went off to, oh my God, his life. He went off and started a discotheque in Canada. Right. And then he went to uh, Scotland and worked at, at the, the VIP lounge in the Galway airport, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he... Um, he becomes the storekeeper. He, he started coming back to Paris because he wanted to know what happened to the guys on the plane. Because in his mind, they were the liberators. They were the heroes. And so he walked along the Seine to all the... all the. He was looking for magazines. He wrote... He wrote letters to all the arrondissements asking for any information. Trying to piece the story June twenty second, nineteen forty four. Yeah, and what actually started him doing that was that he came back one day to his old neighborhood. His brother was living nearby, and he's living in Ireland or he was or something? Scotland. Or Scotland. Uh huh. And he and he was living there, and this is what started his quest. He was visiting his brother and he went out walking in his old neighborhood and it was kind of a foggy day and, you know, he was thinking about that plane crash and he said, and and he also, he's very down to earth when he talks about this, he's, he's just like gets this crazy sound in his voice, but he said he was walking along and he stopped and the mist kind of cleared and he was standing in front of a plaque that just said three Americans died here in the plane crash. And he heard this voice in his head say, don't forget us. Mm. And that's what started him looking. Perfect. So he, he actually, he found out, he found out what happened to every single man on the plane. Okay. He had plaques put up all over Paris in their honor. Yeah. He brought, there were three that survived. One of them had died by that time because it was the 90s by the time he got all this put together. But he brought two survivors back to Paris. Mm-hmm. And they had, they had you know, ceremonies for them and celebrations for them. And he took them where they landed. Yeah. And can, can people see the film right now? Because I know... It you know, it's, it's, we had it out, Roger, we put it on when I <clears throat> launched Wings, but it's, it's, it still is being shown in, like, in I think festivals. last year it was shown in 
um, Belgium and I think the Netherlands. And so when it's being shown, we can't really have it um, um, publicly or online. Oh, or yeah. yeah. And yeah. we we never really got it organized to get it okay. on a channel or anything yet. But yeah. um, I'll but see. I'll ask him, and you can put it on your, sure, on you know, your thing. Like we might be able to put it out for a week. Because what is like fifteen or twenty minutes, or is it longer? It's than twenty four minutes. Like it was, it's a okay, short, it's almost a half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's a great story. Yeah. So we filmed it. We, and he's he so inspires me. I mean, this man, Renee. He's just he he was so generous because what he did was he collected the stories, and then he offered the stories to the families of the fallen soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. So he went to them and said. This is where your brother died. Right. He gave them the pieces you know, to the puzzle yeah. that they never had themselves yeah. in that closure. Yeah, and the, the serendipi serendipitous things and the synchronicities in, the, in this whole thing are just astounding. All right. All right. Yeah. Speaking of serendipities or ser ser synchronicities and serendipity, let's move on to Wings. Um, so this is your book. This is your one of your three books, rather. Um, and this is this goes beyond Paris. So in Wings, uh, Paris plays a big part, but mm -hmm. the, you're you're actually traveling throughout France. So mm -hmm. this sort of broadens the scope in that sense. Um, so how would you? Ouch! I just bit my <laughs> I just bit my lip. Um, how would you describe Wings just at a very high level? Because we're going to go much deeper. But okay. at a high level, how would you describe Wings? Uh, I always say that Wings is about how I traveled through France with the ghosts of artists and other historical figures who shared with me their guides to living. Okay. And I had all these strange encounters. Okay. So, and it's also, you know, like in hindsight, it's a book about how, you know, how I, I talked about earlier about the beauty, you know, is here and it was like, it's kind of what everyone does when they come to Paris. It's like, it's so beautiful and, oh my God, it's Paris. Swept blah, blah, blah. That book is really the traje trajectory of me discovering that what I needed was here talk about that. and that it wasn't necessarily the mystique of Paris. Right, right. You so know? hold that thought because I love that aspect yeah. to the mm -hmm. book and we are going to get there. But first let's start high level. Okay. Because at a high level, it is a travel book at a high yes. level. Yes. And, um, and you said in a 2013 interview, Oh gosh. yes, I did a little research, <laughs> uh, with three guys, one book interview, you said, quote, I avoid letting my identity as a travel writer, author, filmmaker, or teacher eclipse my quest as a traveler. Do you still feel that way? And so <laughs> why? Yes, of course, because you know, my identity in wings is not the savvy travel writer. It's like the bumbling traveler who stumbled into all these weird situations yeah. and you know, um, but I also think that we, we get very aware of ourselves when we travel. I mean, I do it too, right? Like here I am in Paris, you know, here I am in Morocco, here I am in Brazil. Uh -huh. Um, but I try to be in the place and, uh, <laughs> I had this thing happen. This is not France related, but mm. Early on, we took our boys, our, my family, we went to Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. And I was like obsessed with getting the Christmas card picture at Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, you guys stand here. Da 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 da. You know, here we yeah. are. We were going to have Merry Christmas from Stonehenge. <laughs> and, I, and I looked, and this was in the age where you got the pictures back. Yeah. We got the pictures back, and I looked at the picture. Stonehenge was like a 
like a concrete like a corner behind my son's shoulder. Uh-huh. And it in that in that moment, I just was like, "Oh my god." You know, like that's what we do. And so so I think for me, if I don't mindfully um move myself smaller in the picture, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Savani was talking about mm-hmm. in Lint Wings, the last mm-hmm. Lint Wings, like big world small people. Right. Right. You know, that so anyway. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Another or something that I found interesting about the book and different about the book and appreciated about the book is how you directly engage the reader. You're very direct and very intentional about that. And that doesn't happen very often. And so I'm just gonna give a couple examples. On the very first page, I think, either this is a quote, you are alone in the room, ensconced in a golden brown embrace. The scent of coffee nudges your blood to thrum, and you sense that something in this place is here just for you. Then you also say, the story elsewhere, early, still early though, uh, the stories in this book, maybe this is the intro, the stories in this book are not meant to amuse or entertain, although sometimes they do both, but to call forth responses. This is how literature has worked its magic with me. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how it's related to Wings and why you did that in Wings? Well, I mean, it's all that thing. We all have these places we travel where we feel this tweak and we follow it and we can discover these things. And so what what I'm trying to do is sort of share like my adventures having these things affect me and move me and you know you have the person who loves Nepal and they always want to go back to Nepal or they love Vietnam or they want to go to South Korea every time they have a chance to travel they go there mm-hmm. and so wings is is written from this philosophy of deeper like going deeper and finding out why these places move us so much mm-hmm. What about your specific choice, though? I'm still interested in this, which is in addition to what you just said. But like, for example, here's another quote. You're asking, you're, you're confronting the reader. Mm-hmm. And this, again, to me, is kind of different, right? Mm-hmm. But here's another quote. What is the source of the stories that make up your life? Mm-hmm. Right? And then here's another one. Well, no, actually, I'm just going to say that one for now. The other quote is, is a slightly different point. But so well, I'm just curious, you're thinking, because you could have written the stories and sort of had the reader yes. draw. I know what you're things. asking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what, what I believe very firmly in my reading and my writing mm-hmm. is that you have to get to the universal. You have to get to the universal emotion because I, you know, there's really nothing that I do that is all that interesting unless it calls forth a response in you, unless you mm-hmm. can read it. You know, it's like your book, Porcelain Travels, right? People read it and they want to talk about their experiences. And so what I want people to do with Wings is read that book and think about the characters that touch them. And Mm -hmm. even like, I love this uh, this little story about Candace. Candace was right in. She Mm -hmm. read Wings and and she came over like the next time I saw her after she read it. She came over and she had, I think the letters of Van Gogh. Mm And she said, oh, Erin, you know, all of that stuff that Vincent had to say to you. And she showed me her book and it had like colored bookmarks, 
just like a zillion color bookmarks. And she was like, this is what Vincent said to me. Mm -hmm. And so we spent mm -hmm. the whole evening like sharing stories about what Literal Vincent notes. had to yeah. say to her and me. And that's what I want. That was for, for me when she did that. I was like, that's exactly what I want people right. to do. Right, mission accomplished. Yes. yes. I don't want them to be... be be inter thinking about me when they're reading the book. Right. I want more them passive. to you yeah, want I want I want to introduce them to these characters and this place, but I also want them to to then find their own places and characters. Right. And, yeah. Right. I just like how you did you were so direct about that. Yeah. You know. Um because some people might get that on their own, but some people might not. Well, I'm because it's easier to just to read people. a book. But it's yeah. easier just to read a book sort of Right. You know, right. So I like that you engage people that way. Mm -hmm. But you just mentioned, and I think maybe we've already mentioned this a couple times, but you just mentioned, you know, the, the characters you meet, the guides that come across our paths mm -hmm. as we're traveling. And you mentioned very early in this conversation, uh, you know, the uh, Doisneau, or however you say his name, and uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson, who are no longer with us in the material world. But <laughs> neither you, is Vincent. But, no, there is, neither is Vincent, <laughs> but that they have been your guides. Yes. So let's, I'm going to read a quote here. Uh, this again is from another, this is from a different interview of yours. Um, but you said, and also, you know, we did talk. So last time you were on the show, it was more focused. We were focused more on your, you just come back from Spain. Mm -hmm. And at the time you were really focused on Duende. Mm -hmm. So, um, so again, there's, there's this spirituality is big in, in lots of different ways in, in your work. Mm -hmm. But coming back to the guides idea, there's a quote from a 2013 interview from writeonline.com. You said, quote, I look for my magical guides, those figures of the past and present who ignite my life. They are varied and unexpected, and one can easily miss their appearance. And then I think this is, you said, the first time I went to the Tower of London, I felt visited by the spirit of mm. Charles d'Orléans, a French noble yeah. I had read about who had been imprisoned for 25 years, there for 25 years, and created exquisite illuminated manuscripts. Uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson reminded me, perhaps in no, in a way no living person could, how to follow the inviting urge. Mm -hmm. Every story in this book reflects Henri, Henri's influence on me. So can you talk maybe in general about the guy, this idea of guides from the past coming into your present? Yes. And then let's get specific about Henri because it seems like he's mm. sort of your main guide, <laughs> right? Yeah, if you had to yeah. sort of characterize. So yes. you have a quote, I think. Yeah. Uh, this is the quote that opens the book mm -hmm. and this just says it better than I can. If what you are following, however, is your own true adventure, if it is something appropriate to your deep spiritual need or readiness, then magical <clears throat> guides will appear to help you. If you say, everyone's going on this trip this year and I'm going to, then no guides will appear. Your adventure has to be coming right out of your own interior. If you are ready for it, then doors will open where there were no doors before and where there would not be doors for anyone else. And you must have courage. It's the call to adventure, which means there is no security, no rules. And that's Joseph, <laughs> Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so I, I, my magical guides are not just famous people. They are many of the people you met the other night. Mm -hmm. You know, there are many of the writers that I met at Shakespeare and Company. They're, um, they're, they're people who I have met who have um, spoken to some kind of need in me 
that perhaps I wasn't even aware of when I met them, mm-hmm. but it's that yeah. tweak, you know, mm-hmm. when, when I was, when I was editing this is published by Traveler's Tales. And so, uh, Larry and I were editing it and he Larry just kept Hamburger. saying, yeah, mm-hmm. I think the word tweak might be in the book once, but he was like, Aaron, tweak, tweak, tweak. Like uh-huh. it was a big joke because we, when we were talking about it, we were using that word a lot. Uh-huh. So follow the tweak. Yeah. 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 So, some of the people, so I, I think it's interesting or great also that you just mentioned it's not just people from the past, it's not just figures from the right, past, right. it's also people from today, and yet going back to those people from the past, yeah. past on your path, mm-hmm. tell us about how Henri Cartier Bresson, who is no longer with us, right. is your guide today, or has been your guide today, or was your guide while you were uh, working on wings in particular. Right. Well, I had this thing happen where I was staying in this apartment and Um, I didn't, I hadn't even really heard who he was, but I was, it was 3.30 a.m. and I heard this voice in my ear and the voice said, Henri Mm Cartier-Bresson. And I was like, and by this time I had been traveling and sort of following these tweaky threads. And so I sort of like went back to sleep. But when I woke up, I thought, Oh God, I got to go find this guy's work. Mm-hmm. Like there's something weird going on here. And you right? recognize the name? I recognize the name. I you knew who was a photographer. I just didn't, right. I had no idea. Right. Um, and so I went up to his uh, Foundation Cartier-Bresson, which is in, Mo- in Montparnasse. And none of his work was there. It was all this work. It was Duano. It was Robert Duano. Mm-hmm. There's all these photos by him, but they were really fabulous. And these guys were... Um, you know, they photographed in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and they were Magnum, the Magnum photographers. A lot of iconic photographs yes, that people Yes, would just absolutely. Yeah. So I loved these photos by Duano. So I went back to, and I went back to my place, and I just kept, when I was touched very deeply by things, then I was just writing poems. And so I went back to this place and like wrote all these poems about Duano's work. And then, um, but I never, I couldn't find Cartier-Bresson. Interesting. So th- the next morning I woke up really early. I tend to wake up early here as we've discussed. Um, but it was snowing and I was standing at the window of my apartment and I looked down and there's this images shop, like of photos, photos of like Picasso and photos of, you know, these artists. Mm-hmm. And there was a big photo of this guy and he was kind of leaning on his, you know, like this and looking up and smiling. (laughs) And so I, you know, just caught locked eyes with this photo and looked at this guy and I was like, wow, who's that? You know, it was snowing, da da da. Well, later on I walked down there and it was Robert Duano. Mm. And I was like, whoa. And so I just, you know, the rest of the whole time in that, on that trip, I was looking for Cartier-Bresson's work. I don't know. I went to the Maison Photography. I couldn't find anything. Like, I just was blocked from finding his work. Just strange. And in the meantime, I had been encountering this message on a constant basis. And people kept saying it to me. And, like, I had my tarot cards read by the Scottish gentleman. And he said, you know, "Uh life is not an experience abstraction miss it's for the living don't Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. and he kept saying don't think and all these people were like stop thinking so much and they were telling me this well much much later i i kept thinking of cartier bresson and i never had found his work 
And on it, so you've now you've leave Paris. You I'm never, gone. You never succeed yeah. in never like never I just kind of gave up and yeah. got yeah. interested in Duano instead. Yeah. Um, but then I I kept thinking. I thought, okay, I'm gonna write about this guy. So I did all this research, and his photos. It was it was so odd. It was like like when I saw his work, which is so artistic. It's like the brain and the heart. It's his work is. Together just just geometrically perfect artistically perfect historically like everything i was primed for this moment when i saw his work because i i felt his work you know like i felt it in my body and then i was watching this interview with him and he was talking about his decisive moment. It's quite a famous thing that he made famous, which is that moment when he clicked the shutter and how he relied on his intuition. And he, and and let me back up. When people were telling me to, to not, to don't think, they were like, we just let your life flow. So all these different people, the tarot card guy, you know, was like, just let it flow. So I'm watching this interview with Charlie Rose and Cartier-Bresson just says, I just let it emerge. And he leans forward and he just goes, don't think. And it was that moment where, you know, we have these moments where like things just bounce off our brain. And it was just like this moment where it really came into me and it really, um, one of the, one of the things that I found here was kind of, like a reigniting, yes, like a reigniting of my, kind of my authentic self. I know that sounds a little bit cliche and crazy, but also a reigniting of my own intuition in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, that whole don't think, I got it then. Yeah. And and he, and and I just looked at the way he worked. They called him a dragonfly on the streets of Paris because Mm -hmm. he had the, the handheld Leica. You know, they didn't have the handheld cameras before that. So Ah, he was mm -hmm. able to just get all that street photography. And and then there's also another story in Wings about how he traveled the world. And, you know, he he happened to be in all these places on the, the, like he's in China on the eve of the revolution. Like he's in India when Gandhi saw, you know, all this stuff. Um, But he, the way he photographed Paris, when I found this uh, book, Apropos de Paris, of his photographs of Paris, I was really struck by how he photographed his home. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was living in Washington State. So the story, Apropos de Paris, is me walking around Paris, and I'm so entranced by Paris. I'm writing, taking notes, writing about Paris. And he comes along. And he's like, this is how I photographed my home. And he, he kind of takes me around and shows me all these different famous photos by him. But then he says, I made, well, there's these statues on Notre Dame that they are working on these statues right now. So they're covered up 
and I think of them as his statues. I know he didn't, but this photograph, these statues on Notre Dame is just so incredible. Yeah. So he says in the story, he's like, I made Notre Dame statues move. Mm -hmm. Now you do the same with Washington State. Mm -hmm. Your mm -hmm. eyes have been opened by Paris, but now it's time for you to write about your home. I'm going to read a conversation about this. Oh, okay. okay. So on page 116, mm -hmm. because it goes, it gets even a little more specific because this is, we were going to go here. So he says to you, and so when we say he says to you, you're walking around Paris and you're mm -hmm. hearing this, mm -hmm. right? So he says to you, quote, it's easy to see foreign places and be charmed, but you must develop an eye for your home, mm -hmm. which is what you're talking right. about. And then you say, that's easy for you to say your home was Paris. <laughs> and he says, but after I traveled to all these places you just mentioned, I had to rededicate my focus. I could easily have become blind to the familiar mm. and let it become ordinary. Right. Which again is what he's teaching you. And then you say in the book, Henri reminded me of the, of the manner in which I had written about my own home. The few pieces I penned had been about my desire to escape American culture after watching the Today Show and losing my patriotism during the Bush years. Years later here in my <laughs> home, cafes here do not often, um, or do not, offer, do not offer intricate tea glasses or 17th century ceiling beams. Um, every single crevice seemed to seep with raindrops, but I've just driven across Washington to see my son. I look out the window and I see freshly watered roots and my eye is dazzled by the aching wonder of it all. Mm -hmm. And so he helps you to realize yeah. it's not about Paris. Mm -hmm. I mean, Paris can help you to bring right. that up, right? but it can be about anywhere. It's about seeing. Yeah, it's about seeing and being present. Again, yeah. which sounds cliche, yeah. but he is cliche because it's so true. Yeah. Um, so let's see, is there anything else about place? Because that was, well, I guess the next thing I would want to go with that, the follow-up to that was going to be you know, you talked about, so that's sort of where you get to. Mm -hmm. You get to realizing that it doesn't have to be, a, Paris isn't perfect or whatever, that, mm -hmm. that you can get to a place where it's really about you and where how you're relating with your surroundings and where right, you are. Right. But I also like, though, um, still, before that, you say on page 28, we are magnetically pulled towards what or who we need mm -hmm. and that that can often be a place. Right. So... Tell us just a little bit about that because I think that's so... And you did kind of yes. touch on this before when you were saying mm -hmm. some people feel just like Vietnam or Nepal. Right, right, or right. They feel this pull. Yes. So tell us a little bit about well, that. Well, I mean, for me, you know, when I was little, and I write about this in the Winged Victory story, and that's why the book is called Wings. But uh, when I was little, I was in my room writing stories and sketching all the time. When I was very, very young, I was the the kind of serious little girl who saw everything and then asked endless questions. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I write about this in the story. Like, in the 60s, that <clears throat> wasn't people's favorite thing for little girls to be being very cute with yeah. the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, essentially, at four years old, sort of adopted this persona of the frivolous, you know, funny, cute, you know, which, I mean... There's maybe, maybe I have some elements of that, right? But but I dropped my questioning side, um, the side of me that liked to discuss and argue and probe and question, and right. and I didn't I stopped writing. Yeah. So when I when I came here, I felt like I was meeting everybody I met 
was just obsessed with asking questions and talking about things and arguing about things. And like, they were talking about writing and they were, they were, they were talking about me mm -hmm. and they were me. And things you had followed and, up way and back I, when. Well, I hadn't, I, I just, I just sort of cast off my own self right. in a way. And so I, I mean, this happened with Winged Victory is like my quintessential magical guide because there is something about that statue when she doesn't have arms or a head, but the way she is stands on that ship, it just, uh, it just sizzles with confidence and authentic authenticity. This is, this is a woman who knows who she is. And uh, when I saw her, I just, it challenged me. And I realized that I didn't really know who I was. And I realized, whoa, I'm not really authentic. Like I was sort of gotten away from who I was. I have to jump in here because I love, one of the things I love about your not being authentic at that point in your life, mm -hmm. before you started a lot of what we're talking about here is, I felt like it was really courageous and helpful to the reader. Mm -hmm. You're not afraid in, in the book to sort of not make fun of yourself, but to admit, well, I thought I had it all going on. You know, there are a few different <laughs> yeah. circumstances where you're like, well, I just I get humbled I many times. And then you get humbled. That's it. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. You let yourself get humbled. But there were times when I would read not knowing that you were about to get humbled. Right. And I would kind of think, well, she's a little full of herself. And then on the next page, you have this water in your face or whatever and then you have the growth that right, comes from that right right and i felt totally you had sucked me in and fooled right, me right right mission, again mission accomplished multiple <laughs> times so i loved that you again i feel like that's somewhat courageous and, and humility there right. to to admit i mean that's one thing like our travel writing tribe that's one thing we all know yeah is that we just, it's like a series of... Well, the first time you were on my show, or the second time you were on my I think when you interviewed me, no, when you interviewed me, and, and, and I just love <laughs> And I didn't quote. know I was going to be on film. And you didn't know you were going to be on film, which was your fault. <laughs> but no, we were talking about Morocco, and you said yeah. how it just flattened Oh, yeah, you. it did. I <laughs> and I just, but I just love that, that way of saying it. I was like, I can relate to that. But before we move too quickly, because there's another thing that, that I really, that really resonated for me, related to Winged Victory, the statue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And why you, you felt such or feel such a connection with with her, mm -hmm. if you will, is because I'm going to read a quote, another quote here from the I think this is from your introduction quote. The surprise was that each time I returned home from these different places mm -hmm. in your travels, I felt reconfigured mm -hmm. and you draw a beautiful parallel and a really telling parallel to the fact that so you're feeling reconfigured. You're, you go to these places and you feel just chopped up right. and right. whatever, but then you come home and it sort of comes back together mm -hmm. in your new mm -hmm. reconfigured self, but winged victory, they've been putting her back yes. together. So there's yeah. a nice parallel between, cause can yeah. you just tell people a little bit about that? They found her finger, they found her thumb in a drawer in Vienna and they just like have pieced together pieces of her. And then uh, also I kind of get into it when she was restored, how, she, when she was restored, it, it coincided with not, I mean, obviously not the conclusion of my experience in France, but nice the parallel. conclusion of that part. So it mm -hmm. kind of draws a parallel. Yeah. I draw a parallel between that. And then she gets refurbished. Yes. She, she gets, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. She gets, yeah. 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 
Um, let me jump ahead here. Okay, so I guess my next question is, um, as we're sort of coming to the end here, but I'm curious because I think we've talked about this before, both probably on previous online chats and offline, is, you know, I always say that our relation, and I'm, I know I'm not the only one who says this, but our relationships with places mm -hmm. are very much like our relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of Wings, uh, Winged Victory tells you, hey, you're done here in France mm -hmm. for now. Yeah go to Spain and you sort of have this emotional reaction like, wait, you know, you're kicking yeah. me out, so to speak, to oversimplify. Yeah. And so now that you're you're coming back, you are coming full circle. Right. Because you're you're right. working on a novel that takes place mm -hmm. here. So tell me about how your relationship with Paris and France has evolved. Because you were kind of you went into exile. Yeah. Now you're coming back. Yeah. How how is your relationship with Paris and France again? It's um, interesting because I kind of feel like I'm coming back to the place where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for a very long time, I had that thing that maybe we have when we find the place that so resonates with us and we are in Paris, we are in France and then everything is going to just be, you know, pieced together. Everything is going to be, all this stuff's going to happen to us. Well, I mean, instead what happens to me is like, I fall on my head and I like, you know, have get really sick and I, you know, like there's disasters, blah, blah, blah. So I suppose you could say that by now I'm here and I'm working on this Illuminations book and I'm, I'm walking around, with my, I'm having lunch with my characters who are now my magical guides. But you know, like I no longer expect, I expect wonderful, crazy, wild things like that event the other night I thought was. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, but I'm not, uh, it's Paris. Yeah. You know, like I still love it, but it's, it's, Got ups and downs. You can't take the you metro on Saturdays. It the way you did no, earlier. I don't think so at all. Because you have more of an experience. No, but You've I still love it. Like you know well, what? But you can love it without idealizing. Yeah. It. I love yeah. it, but I also know yeah. that it's so crazy. It drives me crazy, and the cigarette yeah, yeah. smoke drives me crazy. And there's a lot that I don't like right, about right, it. Right. Because I don't idealize it because I've spent enough time here. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean I don't love it. Mm -hmm. I still right? though. Again, like you our know, relationships with people. I when I first came here, I had this sensation. And I could hear a click. It was like I was a puzzle piece clicking into, <laughs> into place. Uh -huh. And I still hear the click and feel that every time I come here. Yeah. Nice validation. Um, yeah. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, a lot of it doesn't make sense. You know? That's the point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not about yeah. necessarily making sense. So, so I like when I ask people about their travels, I like to ask them what surprises them. I like to ask them, <clears throat> when I work with writers, I like to uh, get them to evoke an image and an impression, but then I start, mostly when I work with writers, I just ask them questions to try to get to the connection between the place and them, because it's not always easy to start talking to people about that, how they can make those connections. And, right. Yeah. So speaking of your new, your your current connections with your new characters, <laughs> with your new book, They're and this next phase of your relationship with Paris, yeah. tell us about the novel, in to, so far as you want okay. to share. Okay. Well, it's called Illuminations, a novel, a novel of resistance in occupied Paris, and it's about a resistance cell who is... Um, Plotting to poison Ermin Goering, who's living at the Hotel de Ritz. And who is he, for people who He's don't know? He's the 
the German general who was the Reich Marshal. Yeah. Yes. And he he basically looted the art of France um, to an incredible degree. And so anyway, that's what I, I don't want to really go into yeah, it, but it has yeah. some characters from the Storykeeper film, and uh, basically I'm just like going around having lunch with my characters and they're waking me up early. And so, but you're including historical figures. Oh yeah. Coco yeah, Chanel right, right. and the, a lot of figures from France at that time. And there were, there were, there were a lot of things that happened in Hotel Ritz at that time that were really fascinating. And so, and so, so why that time for this, you, this next book? Why, what is it about that time? That, that I think it's knew? the character Jeanette Rocher who lived at, 20 Boulevard Sebastopol with her brother, who George, who was a gendarme, and her husband. And are these historical figures, or these are just your They're characters? They're real characters in my film, in the Storykeeper film. Oh, they're in the Storykeeper film. Okay. The guy who yeah. took Kirby, the guy from Arkansas, to his apartment over by Arc de Triomphe, mm-hmm. took him over to Boulevard Sebastopol, and he was hidden there for two weeks. I have okay. all of his writings from that time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said in his writing was... We would sit around the table and drink cognac and talk until late. Yeah. And I just always was thinking of Jeanette because she was the one who had made the dinner. And um, I always wanted to know more about her. Yeah, yeah. So I'm writing the book to learn more about her. All right. I love it. And do, um, should, do we know how far along you are in that i you know i'm almost i'm almost halfway through the book okay i just worked with my editor and like i'm sort of on a roll here so it's a lot of research yeah it sounds like it historical Um, fiction yeah but it's it's fun and i've already coincidentally done most of the research right like when i was obsessed with the time period and didn't know why right right. so fantastic all right we're looking forward to that yeah what is upcoming for you? So in May, there's a panel presentation of vignettes and postcards of Paris at yes. Commonwealth Club Commonwealth in San Francisco. Club, what yes. Day? I didn't get the date It's the that. 28th. Oh, I did. Oh, I did. Yeah. Well, first, before that, I have the spoken word. Spoken word here. Spoken yeah, word. That, I'm the yeah. guest writer at Spoken Word and I'm going to be a on, the tw- on the 22nd. Word. Yep. And I'm really excited because I, I, I absolutely love doing readings here in Paris because yeah. some of the stories in Wings are... Um, they're a stretch for the American writer who, mm-hmm. who doesn't like surrealism. Or, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to read like the craziest chapter in Wings. So you're reading, you're reading from Wings. Yeah. 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 And and so that's the 22nd. That's then, which is what day? That's a Sunday? Uh, April 22nd, no, Monday. Monday, Monday night at right. Old Chat Noir at Spoken Word Paris. You can go and, my God, if you're in Paris, you got to go to this. You just go. You go at 8 you sign up, you can read for five minutes, and then I think I'm reading for a little bit longer than sure, that. Sure, but yeah. yeah, so, um, and then I have, I actually, one of my writers from Shakespeare and Company is going to the States and she's going to do a residency at Word Space oh, Studios. Okay, excellent. So that's really exciting. Patricia Rarig, okay. she's just a fantastic writer. Shout out to Word Space Studios. Yes. Excellent. Great. So good to meet her. She'll be there in May. And then we have this event at the Commonwealth Club and um, Catherine Carnell actually in this anthology in the new edition 
she's a photographer, but she and I, I had always met her when I was here. We would go for dinner and she would tell me stories about because her father is Stanley Carnell, wrote Paris in the 50s and, um, you know, he, he they, she spent time here growing up yeah. and she was also a tumbleweed at Shakespeare and Co. And so she, um, she always told me these stories about her being here and I was like, okay, you want to write the yeah. story? Yeah. And so she wrote this fabulous story. It's <clears> called... A very long engagement. I mean, my very long engagement with Paris. So yeah. she's going to be there. And Marcia De Sanctis is coming from the East Coast and to Cara read Black. her story. And Kara Black is going to join us. And she's going to read one of Billy Collins' poems. And she was just and on she, show. Yes, and she has yeah. a book coming out, like, yes. really soon after. And she's Bel-Air. also doing she, And she's also doing a tour here in May. She's she? doing a tour, yeah. A yeah. guided tour. Yes. Yeah. She's yeah. Of, yeah. 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 So, All right. Yeah. Lots of Paris going on. Yeah. Uh, and then the next Lit Wings is in September. The next next right. Lit Wings is September 25th. And I'm actually, um, Kara is going to be my writer. And Matthew, you are going to be on talking about your podcast. I am. Which, you know, you're you like the multi-talented. Thought, yeah. Wait, why would I yeah. be a filmmaker? Because, because and, uh, yeah. you should see, where's the camera? There's you should see his studio here <laughs> in this place. Like it's just amazing. It's you are a total filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I'm not sure the filmmaker. It's possible that uh, Ernest, Ernest White. You know, be, I, I we were talking about it. Um, yeah. and I'll have him another At time if he can't not, do it. Yeah. But he was because you know, because he's just moving to the Bay Area. He's, so he's got a new PBS show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. local and yes. now. And, yes, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, yeah. All right, Aaron, we are out of time. Okay. We could keep talking. Obviously, <laughs> we, we totally don't have any can. Problem oh, to keep we talking, can. But yeah. Um, no, we can't because we're already at about an hour and fifteen. Okay, I mean, we can off camera. We uh, well, let's let's keep talking <laughs> off camera. Let's definitely keep yeah. talking off camera. Okay, so I just want to shout out the links here. Um, well, first of all, I want to say thank you again. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me here. Oh, Thanks for giving yeah. me an excuse to come to. You Paris. were fabulous at the event. By thank the way. you. Really thank you. you. Maybe I'll. Um, if I get around to editing, maybe I'll include a couple of clips oh, yeah, of the events fun. in in the podcast, yeah, the video yeah. uh, version. Well, both yeah, it was both great. Versions of the and podcast. I will I will um, speak to Roger and see if we can get that film up for a couple of weeks sure. so your your viewers we'll can find it. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. So the links to check out all of Aaron's work, which is obviously vast and varied, is e burn b y r n e dot com. You can also um, Check out, she's, uh, as I mentioned in her intro, working on the Creative Process exhibition, which Mia will be on next week, but creativeprocess.info for uh, information about that. to talk about that. No, we didn't forget. What are you saying? What would you like to say? (laughs) Sorry, I know it's rude to interrupt. It's rude to interrupt the close of the podcast. Like the three short films we did in Paris related to the Wings book. Um, They're on my, if they go to my website. (laughs) (laughs) If they go to my website, they can just scroll down the books page and find these films. Okay, so there are, there are three (laughs) short films related to the Wings book on her website. Je suis désolée. Tu dois être désolée. Okay, I'm taking you out of camera again. So say goodbye, everyone. Say goodbye. Okay, no more interruptions. Okay. That's all for today. (laughs) Thanks again to my guest. Author, filmmaker, and Little Wings founder, Aaron Byrne. Thanks also to Wordspace Studios, who we just gave the shout out to, for hosting me when I'm in San Francisco, which of course is most of the time. They are at wordspacestudios.com. Next week, 
I, uh, Mia Funk, will be here. Thanks again for watching and listening. If you like the show, please share on social media, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you watch or listen. It really helps, and I really appreciate it. For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com, and links to my social media, books, podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, I can be reached at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for watching, and have a great week. Thank <laughs> you.